and welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, episode 61, The Devil Rides Out from 1968. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. And like I said, on this episode, we are going to be discussing The Devil Rides Out from 1968. Now, we have a fantastic co-host lined up for this episode, but before I introduce my very special guest, let's check out the trailer. Rex, do you believe in evil? That's an idea. Do you believe in the power of darkness? That's a superstition. Now, there you are wrong. The power of darkness is more than just a superstition. It is a living force which can be tapped at any given moment of the night. Why? On one night of one year, should these people live in mortal fear? who knows he must fight the devil's power to the death. My God. Don't look at the eyes, Rex! Eyes, eyes, once filled with love, are consumed with fear. For Tanith is now promised to the devil. Listen carefully to what I say. This is Makata, the devil's chief disciple. Your will is leaving you, slipping away. The Devil's Bride, from bestseller author Dennis Wheatley's The Devil Rides Out, fills the screen with a special kind of visual terror. On your feet quickly! Back to back! Join hands! You will hear his evil. You will feel his evil. You will see his evil. We once kept sight of his face. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And it was was with great pleasure that I get to introduce my very special co-host... Um, he's been on before, um, however, we managed to catch him, snag him before he snuck out the door like all our co-hosts, and we dragged him back in from the cold. I am very, 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 very honoured to introduce my very special co-host on this episode, is Mr Andrew Jones, writer, director, producer, um, and as we were just talking before on, possibly, you know, composer, and everything else. This man is responsible for some absolutely cracking films and some of my favourites over the last couple of years. So, Andrew, thank you and welcome back. Great to be back. Yes, good. Thank you very much. Now, we are talking, of course, 
um, today about the Hammer classic, the one, the only, from 1968, The Devil Rides Out. And um, it's one of my personal favourites. Yeah, I mean, in, interestingly, it's uh, a lot of people feel it's one of Hammer's best films, but it, it came at a time right before their, their decline, didn't it? You yeah. Know, sort of 68, and then after that, it became they became almost kind of satirical in a way with the whole uh, 70s Dracula films and all of that. So it kind of, uh, it was weird. They kind of, it might be considered their last great film, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, like, 1968 is a sort of, um, is a big year for horror, isn't it? You get, yeah. You get Night of the Living Dead, um, and you can see the change in horror, can't you? And I think this sort of, I think there was a feeling when this came up, particularly to American audiences, it was a bit dated. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it, it, it kind of marked, like, yeah, the late 60s was the the first sort of satanic panic type of films you started to see because obviously you had, like, Rosemary's Baby yeah, yeah. in 68. But there was, there was an, actually another a British one that came two years before, Eye of the Devil. Did you ever see that one? No, I haven't seen that. I haven't it's seen uh, Eye of the Devil. actually has an interesting connection with Rosemary's Baby because Sharon Tate's in it. Oh wow! Um, and uh, she she's actually really great in it. She sort of plays this uh, witchy type with a great uh, English accent, and um, she's a really really good performance in it. And um, it was this black and white film that came out a couple of years before, but it had similar themes to The Devil's Ride Rides Out, and a lot of occult in a um, you know very Middle England sort of setting. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, and so it's quite interesting that that then led to Rosemary's Baby because Polanski obviously was married to uh, Sharon Tate and he originally wanted to cast her as Rosemary. Mm. Um, so it would have been an interesting connection, but, you know, the, the studio wanted someone more experienced. But um, the weird thing about Devil's Rides Out is you think that they may be cashing in on Rosemary's Baby, but yeah. they, I think they wanted to make it years before, though. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it kind of, you know, because it was a novel, obviously. So I think they optioned it years before, and it just didn't work out, and it must have worked out because suddenly uh, the Americans wanted um, satanic panic type of films, <laughs> I guess, because Rosemary's Baby had, had been a success, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it was kind of that that era the start of it because then you had like um in the 70s it all transitioned then into like possession films and yeah you know uh, it kind of become a bit more overtly satanic <laughs> but um yeah there was a quite a lot of um cult sort of sat satanic cult stuff in that late 60s period you know yeah. and um you know hammer kind of uh that was that was the one sort of trend they they tried to get on board with, but obviously then in the early seventies they kind of tried to reappropriate a lot of their older stuff like Dracula and that, and it didn't quite work out. I think it was considered old hat then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah and I think sort of um, Dracula nineteen seventy two A.D. Um, yeah, it's probably even though it's got a, even though it's watching it kind of in retrospect. Um, and I think it's a film with a lot of faults, um, but actually it's a lot of fun. But at the time, it does feel like a bit of a, a bit of a cash grab. Yeah. You know what can we have in there? Well, we got to chuck a bit of disco in there. We need yeah. a bit of Christopher Lee. Uh, yeah. We need a bit of cleavage. We need a bit of bikers. Yeah. 
you know, and yeah. we'll just throw it all in there and hope for the best. Yeah. Now, of course, Devil Rides Out was originally um, a Dennis Weekly book. Yeah. Um, have you read the book? No, I haven't read the book. Oh, it's actually. a slog. It's a, it's a, oh, it's a slog. It's a real... I mean, it was written in 1934, originally. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of... Oh, it's a real slog. It's sort of... And I, I, there's a part of me that thinks that I should like Dennis Wheatley. Um, yeah. But it's like his book, they're heavy duty. They're right. really heavy duty. But just kind of uh, a bit laborious, like yeah. uh, long, is it? Yeah, and it's sort of like, it, it sort of, he just, he tend, it just sort of, you, 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 I don't think he had the greatest editor. Right, yeah. I think he was just kind of just left to sort of, you know, go on. Um, and I think um, in some ways, I think this is, I'm probably going to get absolutely pillared now for saying this. I think the film is much better than the book. Yeah, I mean, well, I think uh, what I read was that he was pleased with the film. He actually liked it. And, yeah. you know, it's uh, that's unusual for an author. So obviously he maybe appreciated that it uh, was a bit more concise, perhaps, you know, yeah. and uh, still had all of the same, you know, themes and elements. But, you know, obviously with a film, you can be a bit more concise i guess with a with a book you kind of uh you can get a bit self-indulgent i guess <laughs> <laughs> i think he d i think that's probably a, a really good way of describing it um yeah. now this was uh of course it was directed by terence fisher um written by the fantastic richard matheson i'm a massive massive yeah. richard matheson fan um starred christopher lee in one of his very rare outings as the good guy yeah, that's right. You know, it was quite um, <clears throat> interesting to uh, to contemplate that. But when you actually, what I noticed when I was watching the film again is that he's kind of it's it's a good guy role for sure. But it's also like he he also uses like hypnosis yeah. and he's heavily puritanical in a yeah. way. So you know, it's like you've got him and you've got uh, the Charles Gray character. Yeah. They're kind of they're kind of doing the same thing. <laughs> like yeah. They kind of yeah. it's just like pick pick a side, everyone. Are you Christian? <laughs> Are you satanic? You know, it's like he's not he's not the most relaxed of good guy characters. No, he's Christopher very Lee. uptight. He, yeah, he's straight into it, and he's like, uh, it was funny watching it again just to see how quickly he was suspicious. Because when he goes to get um, the uh, the character who uh, the, the young the young guy uh, from the uh, oh pa the Patrick Mo Patrick Moore's Simon yeah, yeah. And, and like when he when he goes there, it just reminded me of like a, a dad who's <laughs> hunting down his child because he's at the party getting pissed. You know? <laughs> and uh, it was just really, he was really quite overzealous. And yeah. then obviously the guy isn't responding to, you know, leaving the party. Cause, and then he just knocks him out yeah. and kidnaps him. <laughs> I tell you, you something. Know? When um, <laughs> when Simon, um, Patrick Moe hits the floor, he properly yeah. face plants. Yeah. He does really hit the floor. And there is a, I did think, oh, that was an awkward yeah. landing because he yeah. sparks him out. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really interesting. Uh, so he's kind of like this good guy character, but he's he is a little bit of a kind of um, he's very overzealous still. You know, yeah. I mean, he's definitely uh, doesn't really play it cool. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I mean, what's interesting in this, of course, is his character is um, the Duke de Richelieu. Um, and of course, yeah. Christopher Lee would go on to be in the Musketeer films, yeah. um, playing Rochefort, 
uh, opposite right. Charlton Heston, who was playing the Cardinal de Richelieu. Right, yeah. So a bit of a you know a bit of seven uh, seven steps there. Uh, to yeah. The, uh, but um, and then you've got um, of course we come to Charles Gray as Macarto, um, Blofeld himself. Um, yeah. He's great in this, and of course people will remember Charles Gray from the Rocky Horror Picture Show as the as the narrator, yeah. and he's absolutely superb. Yeah, it's the the eyes as well. He's got great eyes for yeah. this, and and they use that a lot with uh, obviously him hypnotizing people, and you, they go in for these kind of Fulci style close ups on yeah. the eyes, and yeah. uh, it really works, you know, with him. And uh, <clears throat> he's got that that I think the great villains yeah. have a, have a little bit of charm to them as well, you know, because he's kind of, you know, he's not a, a putrid type he's he's kind of very he's almost classy in a way high society and, yeah um, yeah and i love the way that he just one of my favorite scenes in this is when he arrives at the house and he just yeah. sort of lets himself in yeah it's and, just that that was what i was thinking of it was just a great sequence he's just like you know just coming in you know even after all that uh, that couple have heard about him and he just sort of <laughs> slinks in and he's like oh do you mind you're gonna have a sit down in here and you know, just have a little chat and then it just escalates i like how uh, the scene is shot as well yeah because they start in these wider shots of them sitting in this kind of uh, study type place and then as he, you know, kind of manipulates it with mind control, it just yeah. gets closer and closer on the eyes, and uh, yeah. yeah, before they're interrupted, you know, I like that that I'm, sequence. Yeah. I mean, like perfect. Terence Fisher is one of my favorite. He's one of my favorite directors because there is something about his work that sort of that, like you said, there is always something interesting to watch, even when some of his lesser sort of Hammer productions he always manages to make the screen look interesting. Yeah. You know? No, he def definitely has, um, he just knew how to make that subject matter work, I think, you know, and that's, that's no accident. Now he's, you know, directed some of the best remembered stuff, I think, because uh, he knew how to, to put a sequence together, you know. Yeah, and I mean, one of my other favourites of his is, of course, is, the, is The Curse of Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, no, I love that. It's... Remember remember that very well watching that at uh, five years old on late night BBC two <laughs> <laughs> you see now, I think this is something that kids these days are genuinely missing out is that thrill of being able to sort of sneak downstairs and think that you're watching something really illicit on yeah. either, either BBC two late at night or channel four yeah absolutely she, uh, that, that's what it used to be I used to um Obviously, I was very young, so you get you put to bed quite early. But I didn't want to go to sleep, so I'd like secretly, you know, uh, turn the TV on, yeah. and uh, you know, and then you know, it'd be, uh, you'd see the, and this is where I like discovered I knew nothing about like Hammer or anything like that. And yeah. then, you know, you'd see them on late night uh, TV, and uh, it was like you would go into it completely blind. And he would just follow the story and think, oh, my God, what is this? And, yeah. you know, I just love that. And they don't really have that. How do they, you know, it's no. like you don't really discover anything 
you know, blind because, you know, it's all on a streaming platform. You've seen a million trailers for it and yeah. all of that, you know, and it's um, it's a pity, really, because there's so many of these great Hammer films that I knew absolutely nothing about before I watched them and then just saw them on TV and they were just, uh, you know, it was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. I remember you know? being really young and and just stumbling across I think it was my first real introduction to Hammer was the Brides of Frank uh, and the Brides of Dracula. Yeah. And I remember thinking because always everybody sort of automatically associates even if you've never watched a Hammer as Christopher of with Christopher Lee. Yeah. And I remember sort of seeing, you know, images of Christopher Lee and like being slightly confused that hang on this guy isn't Dracula. Yeah. Uh, but they viewed and it, but it still frightened the shit out of me. Yeah. It's, it you know the scene where the woman is on top of the grave. Yeah. And she's talking to her, helping her to come out of the grave. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just, it's apps. It's so creepy, but it's absolutely wonderful. It's yeah. wonderful. There, there's a lot of, um, you know, I rewatched obviously quite a bit of <coughs> Hammer films uh, last year because I was doing a Hammer style film, and um, I was amazed that so much of it still holds up. You know, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. E- even down to. Like, uh, I think it's in Curse of Frankenstein where he pushes the professor off the stairs. Yeah. And and there's a hell of a landing the guy has. It's a great stunt. <laughs> yeah. And he's landing flat on his head uh, from this uh, stairwell. And it was, like, uh, it's so impressive. And, um, you know, I can see how, like, with some of the effects as well, they're, they're quite gory as well for that era. Yeah. And uh, I can see how... It would have been quite scandalous at the time because they still hold up, you know. There's still creepy moments. There's still uh, some graphic stuff in there, and obviously there's, you know, quite an abundance of cleavage through most of the films too. <laughs> yes. So you know, I can see how they quite, you know, um, it's, it's still it would would have been very impactful at the time, you know. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, for me, one of my favourite, I, like I said, I love the Curse of Frankenstein. Um, I absolutely um, adore. Um, the mummy, the first, the first. Mummy, yeah. I think it is absolutely superb, and the ending to the mummy, I think, is absolutely. Br- it's quite a low key ending, but yeah. it's so suspenseful. Yeah. It is so suspenseful. It's it, it's so good. It's really really good, and I love. Yeah. You know, I think you know Peter Cushing. And I've said this before on the show. There is nobody takes a slap like Peter Cushing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. nobody like Peter Cushion who takes us like his hair yeah. goes every and he's just Yeah, so... absolutely. He sells it he really sells everything physically. There was um yeah. you know, he's you can see as well like that they did some early kind of green screen work in some of the films as well and you can just see you know, yeah. even though that concept would have been very alien to an actor at that time, he sells the hell out of it, you know, whenever they've got him, like, you know, trying to do some rear projection on him uh, <laughs> on a horseback or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. he sells he sells everything. He really wasn't, from all accounts, he, he just was an actor who, you know, really give his all in every moment, wasn't yeah. he? You know? Yeah, and, he's, and he was a consummate professional. Yeah, consummate professional, and it's, it's the same for Christopher Lee. Um, yeah. You look at the number of credits that he has; <clears throat> is is just just incredible. Just yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, I think um, you know uh, what I noticed about like Christopher Lee's interviews is, <clears throat> I think he he was very honest at times about you know some of the uh, the horror content they would ask him to do you know yeah. and. Uh, 
I think uh, a lot of the time he would uh, he would do things as uh, you know kind of reluctantly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but I think when he get he seemed to have quite an interest in the subject matter of things like Devil's Rides Out and uh, Wicker Man and things like that yeah. because th- those those seem to be his favorite roles that he's done. You well, know. legend um, has it he has a, he, he had a or I think he still has I think it's still within his estate is a large a, a massive library of occult books yeah, and knowledge what, and it's a, uh, it's he a, said he looked into it yeah yeah and you know and that and that in itself is i think is part of the reason why he was sort of attracted to the to the devil rides up because he was like one of the driving forces behind hammer making this film yeah you know because originally they didn't want to cast him as the lead it was dennis wheatley who sort of pushed for him to be cast as as derishlu and it's it's it sort of it, it's it's good pushing from him because he's yeah. superb in the role yeah, I think obviously they Hammer saw him as their villain, you know. Yeah. I guess so. Um, you know, and there's always typecasting, but uh, yeah, it's definitely. Um, but you know, he still has the character, still has that all kind of a cult type feel to him, even though he's kind of slightly puritanical Christian too. He's still obviously <laughs> a bit of an uh, an occultist. He, he's he's. You know, does a few spells himself, doesn't he? Yeah, the, yeah. The funniest thing, the, it did make me laugh when I was thinking about it because it never occurred to me when I saw it before. I just accepted it, but they've got the, the cross is uh, in this the the cross that uh, Christopher Lee's character uh, is like a lethal weapon. It makes yeah. people explode. <laughs> yeah, it does, and yeah. uh, it's amazing. Like you've got uh, obviously the the black guy with the hypnotic eyes yeah, and the. Yeah. Uh, room and then obviously the goat devil yeah, yeah. thing, I and they just that. throw the cross, throw the cross at them, and they explode. <laughs> and uh, I just was, I never, when I was watching that as a young person, you just think, yeah, that makes sense. But like when I was watching it again, it was <laughs> just like that's amazing. The cross is like this, um, you know, it's just like a makes ninja it, star. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, they just throw it and just makes the uh, the bad guys explode, you know, um, which is brilliant. You know, I love that kind of cheese. Yeah, and I mean the one thing that I sort of that that the famous um, sort of black mass scene um, is is really interesting because this the start of this sort of um, wild supposed orgy. Yeah, but everyone keeps their clothes on. Yeah, it's not quite eyes wide shut, is it? You know? <laughs> Everybody keeps the but the reason because originally they wanted to go the full hog, um, yeah. But but the BBFC were having none of it, and at no point yeah. does anybody say a cult or Satanist in the film, because the no, BBFC right, gave yeah. them so much grief, none of them do it. So the idea that that, that the that the they couldn't carry out the whole sort of uh, the full ritual is because it's been interrupted. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a great scene. It's a great scene, but they still managed to get a bit yeah. of blood in there poured over the, over um, uh, Tanneth. Uh, yeah, which is you know, and again, great character names. Yeah, great the, um, character names. It's quite interesting um, <clears throat> that they had kind of that whole uh, goat head because. I've noticed, like, people are kind of, uh, is, is that actually Satan or is that someone else? Or, I mean, I, some people I don't think got what that was. Yeah. You know, I, I assumed it was just a visual representation of, 
Satan, you know, yeah. if you watch um, something more modern like um, The Lords of Salem, there's a bit of that in that, in that Satan is represented in that one by like some kind of midget baby yeah. with, <laughs> yeah. uh, with a, a crazy umbilical cord and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I think it was just, it's just a visual representation of it, isn't it? But, yeah. Um, I mean, it's the idea, it's the Baphomet, isn't it? It's the Baphomet, yeah. which like sort of. Going back, like in history, um, people alleged that the um, that the Knights Templar worshipped Baphomet and the severed head yeah. of John the Baptist and those kind of things. Um, yeah. So it's quite it's, it's ambiguous, uh, ambiguous enough. Um, but yeah. the character of Macarto, oddly enough, is uh, based on Alistair Crowley. Yeah, that's and right, um, yeah. Dennis Wheatley went and had dinner with Alistair Crowley to sort of get his mannerisms down. Um, uh-huh. And I think I think um, I think sort of uh, <laughs> Charles Gray captures the idea of what people's perception of what Alistair Crowley is like. I yeah. think he captures that really, really well. And like the symbolism on his on the, on the front of his sort of um, of his of his sort of uh, his robes is very, very Crowley esque. It's yeah. um, oh, it, it's you know, it, and there's a lot of detail in this. There's a lot of cult detail. Mm. It is. I think the um, you know, all of the uh, all of that is well observed. I think you know. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is that um, if you look at the setting, it's kind of all quite high society. You know, you're yeah. dealing with lots of mansions and people um, who have a certain air of nobility to them. Yes. And yes. Um, that's quite well observed uh, because I guess if uh, <clears throat> there's no conspiracy theorists to be believed, um, there's a lot of uh, thoughts that there's, you know, Satanism that goes on among uh, the wealthy elite, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and all of that sort of thing. And uh, so that's quite well observed. And there's, there's kind of interest, obviously that's that's dealt with in, in some more modern films as well, like obviously Eyes Wide Shut, but yeah. also there was like a, a 2014 movie called Starry Eyes. Did yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. God, that's like about like, you know, Satanism among the Hollywood elite and stuff yeah. like that. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, um, I just thought it was interesting when I watched this uh, Devil's Rides Out again, because it was you do notice that it's all taking place within you know higher society and not kind of working class or anything like that it's yeah. uh yeah you know so he, he obviously you know i would have thought the source material is observing that you know maybe some of this stuff goes on yeah. amongst uh you know higher society rather than uh you know because I, I guess there's always that thought, isn't there, that if people get to an elite level, they've sold their souls. So it's kind of a metaphor for for that, I suppose. Yeah, and it's that it's 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 the classic Faustian pact, isn't it? Is that in order to rise to the top or get what you you know you so called you, you you sell your soul to the you know to the devil or to whatever yeah. whatever entity sort of uh, can provide that for you, and um, yeah. you know that idea that they are desperate to have the rich and elite. In this, hence why they want Simon and Tanith involved, in yeah. this, you know, in their um, <clears throat> but the black baptism, as they call it, is um, is you know, is yeah. key to the whole thing. Um, what's interesting in this is um, Leon Green, who played Rex Van Ryan, which is a superb name. Yeah. I think it's a great hero's name, and I think in the long tradition of um, 
hammer sort of leading men. He's fairly, you know, he, he's hardly the sort of modern man, is he? He's uh, no. He's fairly misogynist in the, in some of his approaches to uh, wooing the ladies. Um, yeah. But um, he was dubbed over, and I only found yeah. this out recently that he was dubbed over by Patrick Allen. Um, which which was a strange one for me, but you know I think they suppose they wanted him to sound sound a little bit more um, uh, higher class. Um, yeah. But again, it just makes me chuckle, just how he sort of yeah. um, he rocks up. He's only met this woman once, and suddenly he's driving her out to the middle of nowhere. Yeah. He's sort of. Uh... Um, I think there's a <clears throat> there's a little you see a lot of that in these uh, older films. I yeah. think there's not uh, there's kind of a. Um, you know, rather uh, persuasive uh, way that uh, you yeah. know some of the uh, the male characters have with the women, and you know, it, it it it's a different time now, so we notice it. I think. Yeah, oh, completely. I think yeah. back in the day, it wasn't such. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed to be accepted, but uh, yeah, you notice it now. It's kind of there's not. Uh, you know, some of them are quite uh, very. It does come across quite misogynistic at times, <laughs> and um, a lot of the, um, <clears throat> you know, because obviously, like, you know, as well, there's the, you know, when when he um, goes to the house, McCarter, it's, you know, it's the woman who he's, you know, seeking to uh, hypnotize yes. and seduce, you know, and. You know, you've you've always got that sort of. There's always a damsel in distress type of vibe going on with some of the female characters. Uh, yeah. You know, I th I think that you know, if this was made today, you'd have to make a lot of those women a bit stronger. I think because yeah. uh, you know, people would uh, <laughs> you know would kind of notice that they were rather too easily manipulated. I think. Yeah, and I mean, what I love about this as well is. Paul Eddington, uh, no. who, who I love in the Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister, I think they are some of the yes. some of the best TV and some of the cleverest writing that's ever ever been on British television. Um, yeah. But I love the fact that essentially he's he just doesn't believe anything, anything no, that's going on. He just thinks it's a load of nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> and he's sort of just when they're laid on the floor. And he's just like, yeah, that's, that's what ridiculous. I was thinking about. Yeah, he was just like, oh, this is all you know, bollocks, basically. <laughs> and uh, but then he's he Christopher Lee pulls the friend card on him, doesn't he? And yeah. says just <clears throat> you know, stick around. But it's interesting because he feels he's an asset because he's not scared. Yeah. And um, that that is actually a great thing because um, you know. Even though Christopher Lee is technically the hero, he admits at that point that he's frightened. Yeah, and uh, which I think is quite interesting. Which uh, and then you've got this completely cynical guy who doesn't <laughs> buy into any of it, despite some evidence. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know he's um, you know he's just not scared, and that makes him an asset. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot lot to be said for not caring, I guess. And one of my favourite things is sort of. Um... When Rex Van Ryan first appears and Tanith escapes in his car and he just says to him, right, can I borrow your car? And then he goes ahead and smashes it up. Yeah. <laughs> he just, yeah. Not only does he sort of bump it, 
he absolutely writes it off yeah. and nobody, yeah, mentions, yeah. nobody mentions it again yeah that's what i was thinking there was there's like a the the um chase is quite a random thing that just sort of appears doesn't it it yeah. seems kind of like the, there's suddenly this kind of car chase and uh, <laughs> all of that stuff and then it's not really kind of it doesn't really come back it just must it's felt like someone just said oh we need a chase scene in here um and it was kind of uh yeah it's kind of random but uh it it is fun you know interesting because there's for quite a um you know there's minimal locations and and characters and quite a low-key story there there's quite a bit of action in it you know there's a lot of yeah People, uh, you know, have a few fights and uh, chases and <laughs> yeah. things like that. It's, it's, it's quite uh, surprising, you know. I didn't remember it that way. When I was watching it again, I was thinking, yeah, it's quite a bit of action they get into this. And obviously there's there's quite a bit of, um, you know, there's some good pyrotechnics in it. They've yeah. got a, yeah. a massive horse in a, yeah. in a living room <laughs> type of thing. I mean, you know. one of the criticisms that does get levelled at this is, and, I, and I, I think it's fairly, and I think it's unjust, really, is people do criticise some of the effects, that they do look a little bit shonky now. But actually, <laughs> I think they work really, really well. Yeah. I think they, I mean, you can see some of the back projection that's going on in it. Um, but actually, I think they work really well. And I think the appearance of the Angel of Death in the, in the hall is absolutely superb. Yeah. I think it's really, I think it's, you know, and it's just fortunate enough that he's got relatives big enough, you know, who have a house big enough to sort of get a horse yeah. into a hall. He's, um... Maybe that's another reason why it was all high society. Yeah. They just needed big <laughs> big houses to put the stuff in. But the um, they did a bit of a George Lucas on this, uh, I heard, which was um, on a Blu-ray release uh, in recent years. They uh, went back and touched up some of the effects. Ah, right. Um, so I'm not sure. I think it was not a case of them thinking it looked crappy necessarily, and they wanted to fix it. It was more a case of apparently at the time they, you know, just didn't have the budget, so felt they were unfinished type of thing, and could only do so much. So they just went back and and did a few touch-ups on some things, and I think it, a lot of it was, you know, some of the backgrounds and and some of the spider stuff they smoothed out. <laughs> yeah. Because the spider, the spider scene is brilliant, I think. Because yeah. I mean, it's um, you know, obviously people these days would consider it a bit clunky, but to me, it's um, I just love that. You know, it, you know, there's a bit of cheese to that. I enjoy oh, yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the, the fact that, you know, Christopher Lee is there going, it's not real, it's not real, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> good, very well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it's, uh, you know, it's it's really interesting. It kind of reminded me of that uh, Kevin Smith story about uh, John Peters, the producer, when he was he was trying to uh, write a Superman script, yes. Kevin Smith, yes. and uh, this producer John Peters kept telling him to put a giant spider in it. <laughs> And uh, it just thought, God, he must have loved this movie then. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it's just a giant spider shows up. Well, didn't he, and, uh, didn't he manage to get the giant spider into um, Wild, Wild, Wild Wild West? Yeah, apparently, yeah. He put a giant mechanical spider into that then instead because they didn't make Superman in the end, did they? So, yeah, uh, yeah he finally got his big spider. But, um, yeah, it just made me think. <laughs> He must have watched this film and enjoyed it a lot, John Peters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, there is, you know, 
because it does. I mean, it's ninety-two minutes long. Um, this, yeah. and it moves really well. Yeah, no I mean that's what I was. Uh, no, there's no in that. It's like you know, within three minutes of the film, they're at the house, and you know, it's like uh, basically they, you know, uh, they're straight into it. You know what I mean? It's like within five minutes, you know, Christopher Lee's already smelling something fishy, and you know they're already uh, they're right into it. Fair play, and it's because um, it you know it kind of. Uh, he sort of does embody that whole satanic panic himself, doesn't it? And you, yeah, you just yeah. you have no doubt that this guy is like you know senses that there's something rotten in Denmark straight away, and <laughs> the whole film is just an escalating and escalating, isn't it? You know? Well, I love the fact he just sort of oh, I'm just going to go look at your uh, your observatory and just marches up the stairs, yeah, uh, and then sort of. Opens the yeah. opens the door and there's there's a whole bag of you know there's a whole load of chickens and he goes that's it they're going to be slaughtered yeah. you're coming yeah. with me and then he's carrying him out over his shoulder and then the butler comes to the to you know to his, yeah he uh, just knocks him out <laughs> just <laughs> smashes him yeah <laughs> think, it is uh, no nonsense you know <laughs> you, you do get the impression this guy is uh, you know not going to take no for an answer you know he's. Uh, <laughs> He's a really, um, I don't know, it, it is kind of, it's like, it is kind of puritanical in a way. He yeah, is a absolutely. Bit, you know, um, you he's, know, he's yeah. like, he's trying to, he really believes he's going to, you know, save, save his soul in a way, I guess, you know. Yeah, but, and I mean, he's the, and you are right, he is the total, he's the flip side of the coin, isn't he? Mm. In that, you know, MacArthur was the villain, but there's like I think like the Joker said you're one bad day away from waking up and being me there yeah are, you could just imagine him just thinking do you know what I've had enough of this good guy stuff yeah I may as well just sort of um, just sort of just give it a go why not yeah I mean he's slightly unhinged in his own way you know but then <clears throat> I think you know that is the what this is the film is about isn't it I mean there is two is two religions going at each other and we yeah. all know you know how that works out in the world these days so uh, yeah. Well, yeah. you know it's uh, that's kind of it I mean obviously the ideal position is for someone to just be neutral and you know not really uh, worry too much what the other side's doing but uh, you know these, these two are a log ahead so it's quite a well-observed kind of uh, depiction of what it is when two zealous religions kind of go yeah. up against each other, really, isn't it? Yeah, and I love the fact that he spends the entire, pretty much the whole film, even though sort of um, Leon Green's character is supposed to be his best friend and his right-hand man, he spends the entire film just telling him how stupid he is yeah. and just berating him throughout. Like, you know, pretty much any major scene or where he's confronted with anything, he's like, no, you idiot, stop, you fool. Yeah. Don't be yeah, so stupid. Right. It's like, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <clears throat> no, he does, he does have that kind of... But then I guess I took that to be like, you know, he, he's very knowledgeable about the occult and no one in, in the rest of the film seems to care too much about it. And... Um, so he's almost like going through it, trying to educate people, and yeah, at the same time, you know, because he's he's obviously it's not greatly explained how he knows about all of this stuff, is it? Is no, that, is that in the book? no. In the books, um, basically, um, the character of Derishlu is um, he's almost like a spy. 
Um, and he's sort of like lots of the sort of um, they kind of like he appears in sort of like murder mystery sort of occulty sort of um, takes he, he's like the sort of the spy but he deals with like sort of like like um, like different sort of and other sort of spies who are involved in like occults and so he's like and he's part of like this group um, and they make reference to it at the beginning um that he was part of like oh it's a French name I can't remember what he says in it yeah, yeah. His, like his father they were like the modern musketeers kind yeah, of yeah that's right yeah, yeah. um but it, and and he's he's pretty faithful in a number of ways um I think oh I'm trying to remember the names of the books now um there's I think there's the devil rides out um there's I think the strange conflict and the and gateway to hell. Um, yeah. And it's like this idea that he's this sort of, um, I think he's, I think he's like origins. He's Russian, but he was exiled to France, um, so that's where he gets his sort of, um, you know, he sort of, you know, he, he's sort of that, that kind of thing. And he sort of this hints at like um, involvement of Rasputin and those kind of things. And um, yeah, you know, it's it is he's a little bit sort of um, he's like a James Bondy type character, but just for like occult spies and those type of things. Yeah, and he's. Um, in in some ways, like because Dennis Wheatley was allegedly worked for MI5 and MI6 and those kind yeah. of things, so he's sort of like um, Dennis Wheatley's kind of sort of like he's he's like he's sort of um, for want of a better word, Christopher Lee in this is like Dennis Wheatley's Woody Allen or Woody yeah, Allen's yeah. Per- perception of himself. Um, yeah. So he, he does have that sort of like spy background to him, um, and I think he Lee carries it off quite well. Hence why he's, he's sort of he doesn't sort of, nobody take he doesn't take any prisoners. Um, yeah. and is quite happy to just like clout poor house staff <laughs> yeah. when they come to their employer's rescue. It is funny that whole sequence did make me laugh, you know, that he, he just wasn't taking no for an answer, knocks him out, kidnaps him, <laughs> knocks the butler out. It's just like brilliant. You know? You know, and you could imagine uh, if he'd got it completely wrong, the awkwardness yeah, of the like, conversation after. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, you know, it's like maybe just you know there was another reason he had chickens in the cupboard. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just food. You know, yeah. Know. We we brought them in because it's cold outside. Yeah. You show up at my house unannounced. You knock me unconscious. You twat my butler, <laughs> and then you know you ruin my party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was. Uh, it was. It did make me laugh uh, seeing that again. It was uh, really no nonsense, but. Um, yeah, it turns out he was uh, he was right. <laughs> what are your what are your favourite scenes in this? I know we've we've sort of talked all around that, but what are the moments that really stand out for you in this? Well, I mean, obviously, like uh, the the sequences, um, I think, with you know all the cult there and all the robes and that, I kind of I always uh, think that that looks really visually interesting on film. You know, where yeah, you've got. Yeah. You know, a cult. I've I've always liked those scenes, and in, in they're very atmospheric. And um, so I think any scene, you know, particularly obviously the the outdoor one, but obviously the one at the end. You know, I I just like when you really see it for for what it is, this ritual. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, because that is that is what we're talking about. You know, these you know people who are into uh, any kind of uh, organized religion on any side it's all about the ritual you know and yeah. it feels like we're 
that's when we're getting down to to what we're actually talking about and what we're seeing and what it's all about. So, you know, I, I like those things, but obviously from a you know a, a cheese perspective, I love the spider scene. <laughs> you know, I just think it's uh, because what, what I always loved about <clears throat> Hammer is you had you know really kind of silly things going on at times, but because the actors are so good. Because yeah. they're always very distinguished kind of character actors. Yeah. You totally buy into it, you know, and it's like, um, and, you know, Christopher Lee delivers some dialogue in this. Oh. And I think, think in anyone's, anyone else's mouth, it would come out really cheesy. But he, he gives it such gravitas that, you know, you believe every word. And that's, I think, what was great about Hammer because they had these classy actors you know something that was cheesy can come off in their hands like shakespeare you know oh god and i mean like he does i mean what am i fa- and it makes me chuckle every time is when he's sort of, like you said he's been at this party for two minutes and he already says i'd rather see you dead than meddling with black magic yeah <laughs> straight <Okay>. up <laughs> i know and it just because it's him it just it feels like it you know you feel that that it's uh authentic but yeah you know some of the lines um you know, could come off really poorly in, in other hands, but oh, uh, God, yeah. you know, it's um, you know, so it's like, you know, that's what's always great about uh, these sort of films, and um, I think it's something we don't see as as much these days. Although you know, you used to have, you'd always have in like the American horror films, even through the eighties, you'd always have at least one distinguished character actor like you know uh, Donald Pleasant yeah and that. yeah, felt yeah he would run around spouting some crazy dialogue but because he's so good it just has this gravitas to it yeah and I think uh, that's the key with material like this because even though it's very melodramatic and, and cheesy at times if you've got you know really classy actors doing it and you've got this these classy settings it kind of it just gives it this um you know, gravitas is interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's like, um, have you seen Manitou with Tony uh, Curtis? Yes, yes. It was, oh. a, it was a William Girdler film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a terror. It just doesn't make any sense at times. But... Yeah, isn't that where the, like, there's a Native American spirit in the shoulder or something? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. And it kind of comes out of of the shoulder it's yeah yeah bizarre, isn't it yeah like, everything going that. on in it tony curtis is class he's absolutely yeah. class in it it's no, just... they got some great actors in that yeah yeah and i mean like you look at like um and i hate saying this is like the hag exploitation genre with like ben yeah. davis and joan crawford some of the lines yeah. that they had to, you know they spouted and some of the films that they were in nobody else could have pulled that off no that's right nobody know, else and, could have uh, pulled that off but that was there's a good tradition of that amongst the you know sort of B movie producers where you know you get you know older actors in the twilight of their career to come in and and do these kind of uh, you know low budget horrors or B yeah. movies and and they just bring a, a they still have the class that they can bring to it you know yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I just it's I think that is something that is missing from from film these days is like the, the Donald Pleasant's popping up. Yeah. I'm yeah. I, th- I think, I think uh, maybe people are, I don't know if they're less willing to do, cause I mean, I encounter obviously making films. I encounter 
snobbery, you know. Um, there's maybe you'd think there would be less these days because horror has become more of a, a nostalgic uh, thing, you know. People, a film that was made 30 years ago and not considered something you'd want to put on your CV. Now actors go to conventions and are lauded for them, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You'd, th- you'd think there'd be there'd be more acceptance of the genre now, but. Uh, I do still think when you've got like some distinguished older actors, their agents are a little bit still snobby about the genre, you know, and they're just like, oh, no, you don't want to be doing that. Whereas, um, I don't know, maybe it, um, maybe that's what it is. But uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see more of the older distinguished character actors do more horror like they used to, you know. I think so. I think so. And it'd be great to see, you know, it'd be great to see like Ian McKellen pop up or yeah. something or so, you know or a patrick stewart i mean patrick stewart man you pops up in green room um, oh, i haven't seen that oh god it? green room is absolutely superb it's, it's it is one of it's te- it is terrifying um yeah. and of course it was um um oh he was um he played Chekhov. he passed away way too young oh what was his name oh i can't remember his <laughs> If only there was some kind of internet movie database, I could look his name up. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, Patrick Stewart is absolutely menacing in Green Room. Absolutely yeah. menacing. It's um, oh, it's a brilliant film. Anton Yelchin was in it. Ah, oh, right, yes. Um, yeah. And if you like punk music like I do, um, it's great. It's absolutely super. I think, I think it's on. Netflix or Amazon yeah, Prime. Yeah, have, a, oh, have a look at that. Oh, honestly, it's and it's one of the best survival horrors, um, I think, in the definitely in the last ten years, definitely. Yeah, cool. um, and it's brutal. It is mm. absolutely brutal. But at the same time, it's got some really, really um, fun. It's got some. It's got a couple of funny moments in it, and it is quite sort of. Um, I think anybody who is like I'm not massively involved or, or any involved in like the punk scene, but anybody from the outside of us has observed it. Some of it is quite true, um, yeah. but yeah, no, it's great. It's oh, you've got to see it. You've got the green room yeah, is, just, is wonderful. Um, we've been meaning to do it on the show for year, for a while now since since we started, but it's ah, oh, it's great. It's absolutely great. It's a really cool. good one. Now, out of all the Hammer movies, have you got any personal favourites? Yeah, I mean, I always um, really liked Hands of the Ripper, um, which uh, which I thought was, you know, it was great for me because I worked with uh, Jane Marrow, who was in that film. She yeah. just did uh, The Haunting of Margham Castle with us. And, uh, you know, she was great in that. But um, I always uh, really liked that one. I think is I saw it, you know, very young. And um, I thought for the time it was actually quite... Um, you know, looking back, it's quite graphic, actually. The um, when I was watching it again recently, it was uh, quite violent. You know, yeah, uh, I was surprised yeah. how how violent the murders were in it. Uh, but then that reflects the the real life Ripper killings, obviously. But I thought it was just really interesting how um, the dynamic of the psychiatrist. He, he becomes so invested in kind of trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with Jack the Ripper's door that he ends up kind of being complicit in, in <laughs> him. And, uh, you know, I just found that kind of really, uh, I'm, I'm always interested in, 
you know, characters who um, go into morally dubious places without meaning to, you know, and yeah. uh, they just get pulled in, you know. And uh, so I always liked that one. But obviously the um, the enduring memories are those early kind of, you know, Curse of Frankenstein, seeing that on the TV and not knowing what it was, and then getting yeah. to that mo- moment where, um, like, you know, Cushion opens the door and sees, you know, Christopher Lee as the monster for the first yeah, time. And yeah. He's pulled his bandages off. I'll always remember that, you know, because it was like, a, a just, uh, it was just a, a really well done moment that was quite surprising to me as a child. And um, obviously the the first Dracula film is uh, was a similar thing in, yeah. um, in the sense of I saw that on... Uh, late night TV without knowing much about it and um, I quite liked in that how they kind of twisted the book um, yeah. in hindsight because they kind of had Harker being there yes. you know for uh, you know to to actually he knows who he is and stuff like that and uh, you know seeing that unfold without knowing much about it it was just a really good story you know? yeah. and um so those are always the, the ones that I'll, I'll remember the most because they were kind of very early in in my uh, you know film education. They were impactful, you know. But I guess looking back uh, when I watch them now, you do discover other you know films. I mean, there's there's quite interest, and I know like they say like the the Frankenstein and Dracula series kind of deteriorated as it went on. But I actually think the Frankenstein series got quite interesting in some of the later entries, like, um, you know, with the, the monster from hell stuff, even though that's not considered one of the better ones, it was very interesting because it had Peter Cushing as a broken down older kind of Frankenstein who hadn't, whose experimentation and life hadn't quite gone as he'd hoped. You know. Well, that's all, but he's got his, he can't operate anymore, can he? Because his hands yeah. were burned in the light. La- yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I just thought that's quite... They always found, I thought, interesting ways to go with some of the characters. And I think that is probably down to people like Peter Cushion, you know, insisting on, you know, the material being good before they do it, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, well, that's the one thing, isn't it? You... Know, you, you if the, if, even with some of the lesser scripts, Cushion manages to raise it above. But actually, oh, but I think Frankenstein is an indel. I think his, his version of Doctor Frankenstein is, is probably one of the best. I think it's the better ones out there. I think yeah. it definitely is. It doesn't have that the sort of um, there's a. It doesn't have that level of campness that there is with, no. some of the, with the Universal Doctors. I think he's, yeah. You know, and I, and there's a there's a believable menace. To Peter Cushing's uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, I mean, but you always get, I mean, from like in the case of Frankenstein, there was always this idea that he's just so driven by his work that, yeah. you know, mor- morality goes out the window. And I don't know, it wasn't like you, you get this sense, you know, yes, he does morally dubious things, but you're still kind of with him. It's really odd because he's such a appealing actor. He, he kind of, even when he's doing something, that, you know, almost <laughs> yeah. evil, you're kind of with him. You're just like, yeah, I want to see if this works, you know? Yeah. And uh, and it's because of, uh, you know, it's because of him as an actor. He's, he was just, 
you know, he was he, he just imbued every moment with this, uh, you know, class, and in, he was just interested in every moment, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, one I got a couple of favorite, you know, a couple, you know, I love the, you know, the the stock. You got, you know, like you said, you said uh, uh, Dracula from '58, and you sort of, you know, the the, the Frankenstein film. I love the um, the Curse of the Werewolf with Oliver Reed. Oh yeah, so good in that. He is so good. Yeah, that's uh, an underrated film, actually. I think uh, didn't they? They shoot, shot that one in Spain, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I remember that was another one on late night. Um, I have, I don't know if I, I haven't seen it for a while, but I have these endearing memories of him kind of climbing up a building. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, as a wolf. Yeah, yeah, and and I remember brilliant. seeing that late night. That was another one. Yeah. I mean, how perfect casting is that? Mind you, it was Oliver Reed as a werewolf. werewolf. Yeah, that, that, you know, he was howling at the moon in real life. <laughs> and my other one is The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Yeah, that's just uh, pure cheese, isn't it? It's that's, just so uh, that's silly. That's great. It's yeah. so And I know, like, Hammer was at the end. And, of course, it had um, the guy who played Shushane from uh, The Big Boss in it as well. So I was already... Uh, David Chen, David Chen, David Chen was the actor. Yeah, um, I loved it. It's it's great, and it's so violent. It's yeah, so violent. It, it it comes off kind of sometimes like a grindhouse type film, which is quite interesting, you know, to me at, at that era when you had uh, you know big exploitation. It was our seventies, wasn't it? You know, yeah, kind of, yeah. Mid seventies, it was. Uh, it's really interesting film, I think. And I, you know, there's there are moments in it. I mean, like, sort of, um, you know, Van Helsing's own son kills himself. Yeah. Uh, and takes him, you know, because the, the woman he's in love with bites him, so he grabs all, and they throw, he throws them onto, like, some, like, a pointed spear type thing. It's just, yeah. it's just yeah. it's, And nobody, it's everybody goes, yeah, okay, no problem. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I think the, I wouldn't mind betting the behind-the-scenes of that film would be every bit as interesting as the film oh itself. God, yeah, because it, it seems like something they there was a bit of uh, you know ups and downs trying to put stuff together. Because well, they were working with um, with Shaw with Run Run Shaw, um, yeah. So you had like crews who didn't speak a word of English, yeah. Um, you, you know, it's you know you got sort of um, you know quite complicated fight scenes going on. Um, and then you've got Peter Cushion in the middle of it all, doing the best that he can. It, it's a great yeah. film. It's a great film. I love yeah. it. The other one is um, Captain Cronus, Vampire Hunter. Oh yeah, yeah, that's great. It's I haven't the... seen that for years. I'll have to watch that. Oh, it's, it's 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 bonkers. It's absolutely no. bonkers. You got this guy running around fighting vampires with a vam- with a samurai sword. It's <laughs> it's just insane. Absolutely yeah. insane. Um, you do. Um... I do wonder what the pitch meetings were like sometimes, but oh. I assume it was more a case of they just showed the poster and the title and just thought this is cool. Yeah. And then and then the the filmmakers just went off and kind of did what whatever they could with it. I think. Yeah, I mean, I've got um, I have an endearing love of um, like films that could have been made. Yeah. Um, and I think like Hammer, of course, and I tell you, you know, the other people, um. Who sort of kind of took that the hammer model uh, with Golan and Go- uh, Golan Globus? Yeah. They took oh that, yeah, Canon. Yeah, Canon. They would take. They would take a picture. They'd take like a, a put an image of Chuck Norris, 
wrestling yeah. a, a giant iguana or something and then they'd, they'd yeah. say, come and invest in this and people would go yeah great and then they wouldn't could yeah. they'd go off and make like revenge of the ninja and yeah you know i mean because they had um they had a couple and a couple of hammer and made films and i would have loved to have seen it, it was zeppelin versus pterodactyls yeah, well, yeah, I'd have seen that. <laughs> you know, um, the Loch Ness monster was one that they started, but they didn't. Um, yeah. They would a Vampirella film. Wow, well, nice. Um, which would have been really interesting. <coughs> um, yeah. And the last one was going to be another Dennis Wheatley um, project. Um, it was called the Haunting of Toby Jug. Oh right, yeah, I have heard of that. Which would have been mm. really, really interesting. Um, yeah, but they sort of, you know, they had, um, and like the other one, they were going to try and take like Dracula to India, um, right. and they were going to do the um, Kali Devil Bride of Dracula. Or, nice. Yeah, I think that was it. But they, um, but they never. Obviously, they 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 went uh, belly up, didn't they, for a while? Um, yeah. Which is. I mean, it's a... uh, it's interesting. They they did do another. Was to the devil a daughter? Uh, yeah, that yeah, was a weekly yeah. project, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was one of one of one of their last. I think it was one of the. He was one of the few, yeah. Because yeah. eventually they had a bit of a falling out with Weekly, and he withdrew his permission. Right. He withdrew his permission for, to use the rest of his, um, the rest of his stuff. Um, yeah. But the other one that they did in the sort of um, satanic vein is the witches. Um, right. Yeah. Was that the, the Joan Fontaine? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. She was like a school teacher, wasn't she? And uh, yeah. she kind of, uh, that's that's quite an interesting uh, film because it's um, that very, you know, little village England setting, isn't it? And uh, very rural. And, and but isn't there something like she comes back from abroad or something? Back from Africa. Yeah, something like that. And, yeah, that was a good, that was a good one. That. And I think the African set was clearly recycled from Carry On Up the Jungle. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> of course they would shoot all in the same places. You know, they would shoot like on yeah. the buses at the same place at the same time they'd be making yeah. a Dracula movie. So uh, yeah, yeah. it's a, a golden time, I think. You know, uh, all of that stuff coming out. I mean, obviously they had. Uh, was it Bray Studios, yeah. that big uh, yeah. big mansion, and they, they did all the sets there. I mean, when you actually look at it now, that they set all of that stuff up in a house, you know, it's like, and they had these grand kind of um, gothic sets. It's uh, masterful production design still, you know, to this day. It looks amazing, you know, yeah. that they, uh, you know, and they would... Um, they would just redress if you know the same room differently, and it would yeah. look entirely differently. And I mean, the, um, the the BBC's recent Dracula shot a Bray. Ah, shot right, some, they they shot some of the, seen the, it. Yeah, you haven't seen it yet. It's really good. No. It's really, really, really good. Um, it's supposed to be a nice homage to uh, some of the older films. Yeah? It's, if you if you look out for lots of things in it, mm-hmm. you'll spot them. It's great. It's absolutely great. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Really yeah, that's, yeah, but they shot a Bray. Um, yeah, that's cool. And they shot in the same castle, I think, as they shot parts of Brides of Dracula. Ah, cool. And of course, because yeah. Mark Edis is, you know, he's a massive Hammer fan, isn't he? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so that was really, really cool. It's well worth a watch. It's well. Worth yeah, a watch. I'll have to check it out. It's only three episodes, isn't it? So. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah well, I don't mind that, you know. It's yes. when I got a binge watch about 20, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big commitment, isn't it? Yeah. So, as we do on the Undead Wookiee, um, where would you come in on a score from this? One being the lowest, ten being the highest? Uh, I, I'd give it about an eight because I, I just really enjoy it. Because yeah. it's weird. It's quite a talky film at times, but, you know, so are many of mine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, I, I just really... Um, but I didn't feel like it was slow in any way because it's always interesting. And, um, you know, I, I just really like the themes and... Uh, you know that that that's what always gets me is is one of the ideas behind a film yeah and little, yeah like because i the, the weird thing for me as well is i don't always need the ideas to be that well executed for me to appreciate and and like a film yeah but but they are well executed in this but it's the ideas that hook me in more than anything else and uh I always like a film which has a lot of ideas and a lot of themes and a lot of thoughtfulness to it. And there is that in this, you know, even though you've, you know, you've got the obvious kind of, um, you know, cheese factor at times. It's like, you know, there, there's always these interesting themes and discussions going on. So that it just grabbed me all, you know, the whole way through. So I'd give it an eight for sure. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was, you know, I was watching. I was, I sort of, I, I definitely it's, it's it's definitely an eight, and some days it's even a nine for me, um, yeah. because there it, it I think it's just some it's one of those films that you you can you can appreciate it on face value, and you don't yeah. have to dig too deep and there's no hidden subtext behind it all. It's there right in front front of you, and it's you know it's it's well executed, um, yeah. it's well acted. I I really enjoy this one. It's one of my favorite hammers. It's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, I definitely think it's their last uh, great film. Probably, I would have thought. You know, yeah. I think it's their, uh, you know, their kind of one of their, you know, last of true classics, I guess. Yeah. So as we are nearing the end of our time together on this one, um, what have you got coming up in the future? I know you mentioned the Holt of Morgan Castle. Have you, you know, what are the other projects are you working on, or you know, is there anything else that you want to sort of uh, direct your fan base to, or you know, this is your opportunity to sort of? Uh... Yeah, um, well, we've got a few uh, films from last year that we made that are coming out. Um, I think uh, they'll they'll start coming out in uh, you know from April onwards. We've got um, you know a few dates to uh, confirm, but it's uh, I think the f they'll what have we got in the UK. We've got um, a film, the Utah Cabin Murders, still to come out. Although I think they might be calling it just the Cabin Murders <laughs> because uh, not many people over here are that interested in Utah. Um, yeah. <laughs> But um, and then we've we've got the Jonestown haunting, which is kind of a very kind of bad dreams style movie about a survivor of the Jonestown cult um, going back there and experiencing kind of visions. And it's a very trippy film. Um, <clears throat> won't be for everyone, but um, that should be interesting. Obviously, the Cabin Murders is a, a home invasion type film, and then. Uh, else we got our oh, killer next door that's that's gonna be interesting for us because it's uh not a horror film it's a a sort of true crime thriller um nice. about uh a sort of it's based on the 
real life story of John List, who was um, the basis for the Stepfather movies. All oh, right, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So he he's kind of um, it's kind of the real story of of that 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 was based on. So uh, it's like a, a girl who kind of rear window style. She's laid up in her bedroom and uh, starts spying on the neighbors and notices a. Uh, you know that one of them might be this kind of family killer who's been on the run for eighteen years. You oh, know, wow. so um, so it's kind of uh, I guess a little bit um, you know Tim Pot Hitchcock, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, you know what have we got then? And obviously it'll be uh, the haunting of Margam Castle later in the year. Then I think uh, as we get probably go more towards September type of time of that, but. Uh, that should be an interesting one because we've got a lot of um, nice cult names in that and uh, people like Caroline Monroe and, uh, you know, uh, Vernon Dobchev and Dar- Darren Nesbitt and, you know, people who've been in some classic kind of older films um, are, uh, are in that. So, yeah, it'll be nice to uh, see how, how they all do. But, yeah. um, you know, hopefully we have a good year. We had a... A good year last year with uh, some releases. It's very nice to see some of the indies coming back now because in November and December it's like a dead zone for uh, indie films because of the Christmas films. You know, I mean, I don't know how many times people can buy a Home Alone DVD, (laughs) but every year, every year the charts turn from late uh, November onwards. All the UK charts. DVD wise, just turned to like you know National Lampoon's Vacation, Home Alone, yeah. you know It's a Wonderful Life, and everyone just buys them every year, <laughs> and and no indie films are out, so it's nice now in January, mid January, you start to see all the indies getting released again now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this uh, hopefully will be a good year for for physical media, because um, even though you know it's uh, it's dwindling a bit. Um, it's still there. It's still an industry, you know. If you can, uh, if you can get a good release, you know, that's very marketable. You can still do good business, and uh, <clears throat> you know, that's what I hope for this year. That you know, we keep uh, physical media alive, you know, because uh, and, and obviously, as special editions of older films, uh, they do they do really well. So um, you know, there's still a, a market for it. You know, so uh, hope people, uh, you know, get out there and buy more physical media this year. Absolutely, absolutely. Because it, it, you know, for me, what I think the greatest loss for anybody is the death of the video shop. Um, yeah. You know, I think that that the the excitement of going down and being able to physically see something that you've never sort of thought about before, bring it home, and just discovering it. Um, yeah. That, that's something that's missing, and I think in so many ways now. You know, it's important that physical media is kept alive. Absolutely, and the other thing is, is that you know, when when you buy, you know, or rent a, a digital copy of something, you know, it's only good as long as you know the computer is good. You know, if a computer uh, yeah. disappears or a server goes down, you don't have it. Whereas, you know, when you buy physical media, a DVD or Blu-ray, you know, you always have a physical copy you can put in any machine. You yeah. know, so. Yeah. To me, I think there's, uh, you know, 
people might have seen a few of the streaming platforms change and go down. Yeah. And yeah. and you you notice then that, that what you think is part of your permanent collection really isn't, you know. No, so no, um no. you know, you hope that people understand that, you know, it, it's much better to actually physically own something, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm I got I'm I've said before when uh, when we've chatted I'm really looking forward to the Jonestown film. Um you know, I I'm a bit of a sucker for a good cult movie. Um, and I'm really, really looking forward to that one. And as always, I've enjoyed, you know, I enjoy all of you, just all, all of the stuff that you put out there. Um, the Robert the Doll movies are some of my favourites. Um, I, I love Hall the Halloween Jack films. They're great. Absolutely great. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, no, I mean, because obviously we, uh, it's basically a case of we just got to do what we can with, <laughs> with shoestring budgets. But, uh, you know, you always try and make it uh, fun and try and make it interesting. I mean, the the interesting thing about the Jonestown Project is it's a very trippy, unusual film. So I think um, sometimes on low budgets, you get the opportunity to do something a bit unusual and strange and... Who knows if it works or not, but, you know, you give it a try and, you know, but should be the, interested. But that's the joy, isn't it? You get the opportunity to experiment. And I think, um, yeah. I think sometimes I think sort of larger films can all become the same. And yeah. you, you kind of know what you get in. Um, and I know people yeah. like that, but at the same time where you do want something different, um, yeah. you're not always going to get that. So, uh, so my, I take my hat off to you, sir. I take my oh, hat thanks. off. So, uh, well, there's a lot of a lot of good uh, indie stuff now. I notice, um, you know, the, there are a lot of people doing, taking the opportunity because obviously they're independent and low budget and doing quite interesting things. Yeah, you know, absolutely. so uh, it definitely would uh, say, you know, obviously it's always hit and miss with low budget indies, but um, there are a lot of uh, interesting things, uh, you know, that that you know get onto those supermarket shelves it's worth giving them a shot you know oh, definitely definitely um yeah i'm a i love a good browse down uh, around the isle of tesco and asda or hmv or wherever else or you know i'm I, I love a good you know something that catches my eye i'm there so um, yeah and, and long may it last and long may it last yeah so Absolutely. mr jones Thank you so much for being on. I really, really appreciate you taking the time up from your fairly busy schedule um, and chatting with us about uh, The Devil Rides Out. Thank yeah, no, it's much. been great. Enjoyed it. Well, thank you very much, sir. And we definitely, you've got an open invitation to come back anytime. Great, thanks, Sam. No worries. Take care now. And once again, I would like to say a massive thank you for Andrew being on the show and taking time out from his incredibly busy schedule. I really, really appreciate it. Now, little announcement to make. Um, some of you may have noticed on social media um, that's recently popped up is buy me a coffee. Now, at the show, we've signed up to that because what we would really, really love um, is we've got a number of projects that we want to develop, but obviously they cost quite a little bit. And we're not asking anybody to sign up anything. But what we are asking is if you're feeling generous and you really enjoy the show and you want to support, um, why not buy us a coffee? Uh, you can follow the links on our social media. You can click on it. Um, I think it's about uh, it's £3. 
um, a time and every single penny goes directly to the show um, because what we're looking to develop for the future is some more radio plays. So that means that we're going to need to get some rehearsal spaces and that costs money and we'd like to invest in some new equipment. So um, if you really like the show and you want to support us, please, by all means, buy us a coffee because, you know, a caffeinated Wookiee is a happy Wookiee. <laughs> Right, enough of that now, and it is time for What the Wookiee Watched. And up first, we have got, from 2019, Child's Play. At Caslon, we believe that happiness is about more than entertainment. It's about being known, understood, loved. Introducing your new best friend. People, let me tell you about my best Okay, that was the trailer for Child's Play from 2019. As I'm sure you were aware, this is the remake or reboot of the classic Child's Play franchise. Um, I went into this with um, some amount of trepidation. Um, I wasn't overly excited about the fact that they were doing this reboot or remake or re-imaging. Um, was it... Um, the total disaster that I thought it was going to be? Absolutely not. Um, is it anywhere near the quality of the very first Child's Play and indeed the second Child's Play in the original series? No, not really. Um, it doesn't have that mean edge to it. Um, it doesn't have that dark, dark streak to it. Um, however, what it does have is an interesting new re-imaging of the Child's Play franchise. Um, it stars uh, Aubrey Plaza, Gabriel Bateman, and of course, the one, the only, Mr. Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill, as the voice of Chucky. Now, this is some sublime casting here as uh, Chucky, and he is the highlight of the film. Um, he brings an interesting take to it. He's not doing a Brad Dioff, Um impersonation he brings his own spin to chucky it does have a little hint of the joker in it but then again they do share the same vocal cords so i think you can sort of um you can you can forgive it that um it has an interesting new take on it with the use of bluetooth technology and all those sort of wonderful new ideas but um it does lack punch and bite um it does have some interesting set pieces in it, but overall, it's all a bit meh. Um, 
and I would probably give this one a 5 out of 10. And if you haven't got anything better to watch, check it out. Okay, up next on What the Wookiee Watched, we have got Don't Go Into the Woods Alone from 1981. Let's check out the trailer. For some people, a simple warning is never enough. By the time Alma heard it, it was too late. Something's out there in the woods, and it's killing people. Joni never thought it could happen to her. Ingrid and Peter couldn't believe it happened to them. Something's out there, waiting. Something a little bit wild and crazy. For some people, a simple warning is never enough. It's your decision. If you want it chopped off, just take it to the woods. Remember, the call of the wild is the last thing on earth you want to hear. Don't go in the woods. It's coming soon. For some people, a simple warning is never enough. Okay, that was the trailer for Don't Go Into the Woods Alone from 1981. This is a film directed by James Bryan, written by Gareth Ellison, and it stars uh, Nick Cleland, Mary Gail Arts, James P. Hayden, and Inge Brown, uh, Ken Carter, David Barth, Larry Roop, Amy Martell, and Tom Drury. Now, this is, of course, one of the uh, films that found itself on the... BB, uh, the British Board of Film Classification's Naughty Step and was labelled a video nasty and was banned for um, for a significant period of time. Um, <laughs> this is super low budget. It's absolutely... Um, when Edgar Wright did the, the fake trailers for the Grindhouse um, movies, he absolutely nailed the tone of it. And this is such a ridiculous film. It has got some absolutely bonkers kills in it um they, it's quite literally just goes through the, the, the story's paper thin a group of hikers are stalked um by a maniacal serial killer with a large spear um who kind of resembles stephen king in the um in the, in this episode of the creep show the original creep show um it's absolutely insane the acting is deliciously bad um, and I love it. Um, the soundtrack to it is fantastic. It's really synthy and grindy. This film is, has a very overall grimy feel to it. Um, it is, um, I don't know how to just, don't go into this expecting high quality because it's not. Um, the uh, 101 uh, film collection that it's come out on is, is, is great. They've done a wonderful job restoring it. And um, it's... Um, I really enjoyed it for all the wrong reason. It's 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 great. It is really really great. And for those of you out there who are fans of the slasher genre, I think it's a must see because it is. It's a film that did end up on the video nasty list, um, but actually there's not an awful lot. I can't see a particular reason why it should have been on there. Um, it you know the entire film uh, was dubbed after shooting, which you can tell. Um, 
which is is hilarious within itself. It gives it this sort of almost um, Italian um, vibe to it. Um, this, I think, it got um, it finally got a release um, in the early eighties. Um, I think about around about eighty four, possibly, and I think it eventually got um, passed as a fifteen on a DVD certificate. But the film, um, I think, was greatly cut. Um, and the um, one thing you'll notice automatically with this, and I love it, is just how red the blood is. Um, there's a great sleeping bag kill in there, so somebody did it before Jason did it, um, and some of the performances in this are just brilliant. James P. Hayden as Craig is... I have no idea what he's doing on screen, but he is just an absolute joy to watch. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely go and check uh, this one out. It's got a great release. It's well worth it. Um, for me, uh, I bizarrely, I, if, even though this is just a symbol of all things bad taste, I'm still going to give it a 6 um, out of 10 because I really enjoyed it. It's, um, it is absolutely bad taste all the way through and it's wonderful. So go and enjoy it. Um, I think you can pick it up for about between 8 and £12 on Blu-ray. Um, so it's definitely worth uh, worth a purchase. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is all the time we have for this week. I want to say a massive thank you to everybody who's uh, been listening on SoundCloud and on iTunes. And please don't forget to leave us some five-star reviews on iTunes. It really, really helps. And please drop us a line on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Please do. Um, always, you know, time for a chat. Um, I really love interacting with you guys. Thank you so much um, for supporting the show. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm always humbled, always humbled by um, everybody who listens. So thank you very much. And once again, a big thank you to uh, Mr. Andrew Jones for being on. Honestly, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out. Now, it's time that we go. I know, time is fleeting. And uh, it's all that's left for me to say. In the immortal words of Count Dacula, good night out there.